Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews with your host, Aaron Martell. Hello there, I'm Aaron Martell, and welcome to Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews, a podcast where I talk about and review a rock album of my choice. Today I'm flying solo, no co-pilots, but if you're listening and you're interested in coming on the show to review an album with me, I'm always on the lookout for co-pilots to host the podcast with me. There are a few ways to get in touch with me, which I'll go over at the end of the show. So on this week's episode, I'm going to review KISS' 1975 album, Dress to Kill. KISS was, and probably still is, my favorite band, dating back to 1976 when I discovered a KISS record in my uncle's collection and got hooked by the band's outlandish image and simple yet catchy hard rock music. By 76, there was a fuck ton of KISS-related merchandise beginning to flood the marketplace, and I wanted every piece of it I could get my hands on. Posters, magazines, toys, you name it. But most important were the KISS albums that contained the music I constantly played on my tiny, cheap-ass kitty record player. The fucking disc was bigger than the player itself. Whenever I went to any department store with my mother in the 70s, I always asked to go to the record department and check out the albums they had in stock, and I always looked in the KISS bin first. The black and white album cover of Dress to Kill caught my eye, including the negative of the cover photo on the back, and I got this album very early on in my record collecting career, probably in early 1977. And there you have it. So now I'm going to give you some basic facts about this album, brought to you by Wikipedia. Wikipedia, what? You want me to use the library? Dress to Kill is the third studio album by American hard rock band KISS, released on March 19, 1975 on Casablanca Records. It was produced by Neil Bogart and was recorded in February 1975 at Electric Lady Studios in New York City, New York. It reached number 32 on the U.S. Billboard Pop Album Chart and is certified gold by the RIAA. Next, I'll give you the band's lineup card. We have Paul Stanley on vocals and rhythm guitar, Ace Fraley on lead guitar and some backing vocals, Gene Simmons on vocals and bass guitar, and Peter Chris on the drums, percussion and vocals. Now I'll go into a track-by-track analysis of the album. The lead-off track is Room Service, written by Paul Stanley. first thing that immediately jumps out at me is the production. Neil Bogart was the president of Casablanca Records and had no business being a record producer. But damn, this record is so much brighter and sharper than the first two Kiss albums, and I think it sounds great. Plus, it still rocks hard to my ears, and this track races right out of the gate fast and ballsy. The underrated rhythm section stands out to me as Peter plays some cool fills and Gene's bass walks all around the song and keeps it moving along. Ace plays a kick-ass, speedy, double-track solo and brings his A-game to this track, while Paul dramatically sings the lyrics, which some people criticize for being dumb, but what the fuck, this is Kiss. They sang about what they knew about, which at this point in time was traveling on tour and trying to get laid. 
You should know this is what you're getting going into any Kiss album, and screw the naysayers, I've always loved this song. It sets the tone for the rest of the album, and I'm ready to dive in. The next track is Two Timer, written by Gene Simmons. Just call me a This has a slower, sludgy tempo with dirty riffs that seem heavier and are more reminiscent of the first two albums. Again, the bass line doesn't just follow the guitar riffs, but it has its own unique and interesting element. Gene sings in a gruff voice about how his baby is two-timing him and he feels like a three-time loser. Coming from Gene, if you know anything about his sexual and relationship history, that's fucking hilarious. That said, I really dig the pre-chorus and the chorus, My Babies Are Two-Timer, and I feel this track is an often overlooked gem in the Kiss catalog. Moving on, we get Ladies in Waiting, written by Gene Simmons. Sonically, this is much like two-timer, except sped up a bit. The guitars are still in that heavy, sleazy mode, and Gene actually plays rhythm guitar in this. And the bass follows along the main riff this time. Now this is the Gene we've come to expect, singing lyrics about what I'm guessing are prostitutes, but using a meat market as a metaphor for the women. Classy writing, Gene. Ace has another double-track solo, in which the licks are slightly off-kilter with each other, but as an attention-grabber, it's very effective. I've got a soft spot for this one, too. It rocks hard, and I dig the ladies-in-waiting chorus, despite the obviously lunk-headed lyrics. What did I know? I was a kid when this came out, so the words didn't mean shit to me at the time. Now we gotta make our getaway, written by Ace Fraley. It begins with a simple riff that turns into a fast rocker, with Ace playing all the guitars, an excellent melodic bass that you could have fooled me into thinking Gene was playing. The Catman Peter Chris takes the lead vocal, and his raspy whiskey voice is always welcome on these early records. Ace plays a short but smoking solo, and the tune ends with Peter screaming out some ad-libs, something he was great at in the old days. The lyrics are uncomplicated, the narrator is feeling like life is stale and he doesn't belong where he is, so it's time to leave town. I always like it when Ace Frehley contributes a song or two to Kiss. It's just different enough from Paul and Gene's writing, yet still fits right in comfortably on the album. I love Getaway. Great tune. And now we come to Rock Bottom, written by Paul Stanley and Ace Frehley. 
music intro starts this off, which feels somewhat tacked on, and I believe is what Ace brought to this. It goes on a bit long, but it's still pretty cool. It leads to a short, punchy rocker, with Paul on lead vocals singing about his girl who isn't treating him right. Standard rock and roll stuff. I dig the chorus riff and vocal hook, and this song smacks you in the mouth and finishes quickly. I've brought this up before in previous KISS episodes, but it bears repeating. The version of this song on KISS Alive monkey stomps the studio version into the ground. It's faster, rougher, and the intro is much shorter. But I'm not complaining about this version. It kicks plenty of ass, too. So let's flip the imaginary record over and drop the imaginary needle on Come On and Love Me, written by Paul Stanley. I said, baby, baby, don't you hesitate. In my opinion, this is one of the great Paul Stanley songs. It has a rocking riff and catchy melody, and one of my favorite opening lines of his. She's a dancer, a romancer, I'm a Capricorn and she's a Cancer. It's mid-tempo but doesn't lag and has all kinds of swagger. Paul meets a lady who's interested in him, and he gives her the green light to get acquainted with him. Paul plays the intro solo and nails it, while Ace knocks out some great solos later on in the track as well. Good as this is, the version on Alive buries this. It rocks harder than your Uncle Bob at a strip club, and Paul sings with more balls than on the studio cut. But make no mistake, the Dress to Kill version is fantastic, and Paul Stanley owns this fucker. Next up is Anything for My Baby, written by Paul Stanley. Peter kicks us off with a drum beat that sounds a lot like his intro for a much more famous song coming up on this album, but the chorus vocals come in, and then this turns into a groovy little up-tempo tune that's super short at two and a half minutes, but doesn't let up for a second. The lyrics are cut and dry, but I love it. Paul digs his woman, and he'd do anything for her. Steal, wheel and deal, crawl or kneel. There's no guitar solo, but holy fuck, listen to Peter Chris on the drums. Before Peter joined KISS, he was more influenced by jazz music and thought of himself as a jazz drummer, and because of that, he brought a certain level of swing to the early KISS material, something the subsequent KISS drummers lacked, as there were rock-oriented players. Peter is the star of this track, and some people have said he's the MVP of this album, and I'm not arguing. He was in the zone at this time. I really love this track, but I have to pick something to call my least favorite. So I guess this is Aaron Stinky Stinker. Though it's really not. I don't have one on this record. Sorry about that, Pete. Continuing on through the album, we get She, written by Gene Simmons and Stephen Coronel.
prior to forming KISS, Paul and Gene were members of a band called Wicked Lester. They had a record deal and recorded its first album. Unfortunately, Wicked Lester had a strange, eclectic sound that was unfocused and didn't satisfy either of them. They wanted a harder-rocking, visually unified band, so they both left Wicked Lester bearing the album they recorded. It was never officially released, but heavily bootlegged. And they searched for other players to fit their new vision, resulting in Kiss. But when it came time to record Dress to Kill in 1975, Kiss was under the gun to come up with some brand new material in a short amount of time. So Gene and Paul reached back into the Wicked Lester bag and pulled a couple of tracks out to rework in the Kiss style. She is one of them. This is a heavy mid-tempo thumper with a cool-ass riff and has Paul and Gene singing the lead vocals together. Ace plays some tremendous lead guitar all over this song, including during an extended middle section where Peter changes up the beat and throws in some cowbell. Yeah. The lyrics are about a lady who's going down and everybody knows she's so good. The usual fare for this band. Live, they would extend the outro of this song out further, and Ace would get his star turn with a guitar solo that he played variations of more or less throughout his career. The original Wicked Lester She can be heard on the Kiss box set from 2001, and yeah, it's pretty bad. There's a flute and horns on it, and it's wimpy sounding, and it's just a fucking mess. Stick with Kiss. The penultimate track is Love Her All I Can, written by Paul Stanley. This is the second reworked Wicked Lester song on the album, and again, the new version crushes the old one. I dig the main riff, which doubles as the chorus riff, and the chorus itself is catchy as all fuck. Paul sings the simple lyrics, which are basically of the I'm lucky I got her and she's everything to me school of lyric writing. The Spaceman plays some awesome leads almost through the entire second half. And Peter brings it again on this tune, including some tasty solo fills toward the end of the track and more cowbell. Everyone gets a chance to shine on this, and though this is nothing more than an obscure deep cut, I think this is another lost gem waiting to be uncovered. And that brings us to the final track, Rock and Roll All Night, written by Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. goes that Neil Bogart asked the boys to come up with an anthem to rally the fans, so they took a Gene-written verse and a Paul-written chorus and mashed them together, coming up with what would become the national anthem of KISS. There's no deep hidden message here, no secrets to keep or riddles to ponder. They just want to rock and roll all night and party every day. 
It was the first single released from the album, but didn't really catch on until the far superior live version from Kiss Alive, complete with an added guitar solo, was put out later that year and hit number 12 on the Billboard Hot 100. Everyone knows this song. This is the song that seals Kiss' musical legacy, and for the vast majority of their career, it's been the song that closes their concerts. There has been a backlash against it, too, even from the Kiss diehards, that it's overplayed and people are just sick of hearing it at this point. Well, fuck that. A hit becomes a hit for a reason. Is this my favorite Kiss song? No. Is it overplayed? Yes. Does it deserve its status as Kiss' best-known song? Yes. What do I think of it? I fucking love this song, and I'll keep listening and rocking out to it until my ass is dead and nothing but dust. Now that the track by track is over, it's time for my final thoughts on album rating. For you new listeners, the album rating is a 0 to 5 system, with 5 being a favorite album of mine, all the way down to a 0, which is blech. By 1975, Kiss and its record label Casablanca were in a lot of financial trouble. The band had already released two albums in 74, and as soon as they got off the road to support Hotter Than Hell, they hustled back in the studio to record this album. The pressure was on, and the band didn't have a backlog of material to draw from this time. They had to quickly come up with new songs. You can hear a bit of desperation in how rushed they were on this record. The songs were short, only two went over the three-minute mark, and one of those had a lengthy acoustic intro thrown on the front of it, and the entire album clocked in at not much over 30 minutes. Supposedly there were tricks used, like having an extra second between tracks to make the record seem longer, but I don't know and don't care about all that shit. The bottom line is, I love all the songs in this album, and I love how it sounds. I'll take this production over Hotter Than Hell's any day of the week and twice on Sunday. I love the album cover, with the guys wearing ill-fitting suits, standing around like four ordinary guys on the street. Dress to Kill is my favorite of the first three Kiss albums, and it's my second favorite Kiss album of all time, so duh, I'm giving it a five. Every time I put it on, I'm transported back to a time when a goofy six-year-old kid would stomp around the house playing a tennis racket guitar and shouting, I want to rock and roll all night. You know the rest. I now want to thank all the listeners who liked and or shared the podcast on Facebook last week. I'm talking about you, Paul Lang, Thomas Martin, Ray Zimmer, Tessa Lambert, Manana Champadze, Cesar Augusto, and Anne Martel. If I mispronounced any of your names, and I'm sure I did, I mean no disrespect. And to everyone who listened and didn't like or share, we appreciate you too. We take none of you for granted, and as this podcast is just a labor of love we don't get paid for, it's gratifying to know that we're being heard. So thanks again so much. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast at places like iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn, and Spotify. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review of it. If you take the time to do that, I'll read your review right here on the show. If you'd like to contact me directly, I can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com and also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast. You can also review the show on Facebook if you'd prefer to do it that way, and yes, I'll read your Facebook review on the podcast. You want to come on the podcast and talk about an album with me? Shoot me an email. We'll set it up. 
I'm always looking for co-pilots to host the show with me, and I would also welcome any requests or suggestions for albums to cover. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. I'd love to hear from you. And lastly, here at R4, we thank you so much for giving this podcast a listen, and a massive thank you if you like and support the show. Take care, and I'll catch you later. And you're listening to Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews. This is Gene Simmons of the rock group KISS. You're listening to Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews. But you knew that, didn't you? Hey folks, it's Peter Chris. You're listening to Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews. Meow. Hey Curly, this is Ace Fraley. You're listening to Ridiculous... You're listening to Ridiculous... You're listening to Ridiculous Rock... You're listening to the off...